0: Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Today on the show, we had Joe Leluz, the founder and CEO of Bison Trails. Bison Trails is the easiest way to run infrastructure on multiple blockchains. They also are the founding member of the Libra Association and on the board over there. And Joe is on the technical committee pushing forward for decentralization for the Libra Protocol. We went into that whole conversation and we talked about Libra and had some crazy topics about the who, the what the where, the why, the when, how he got involved, the backroom meetings, and like why is Libra actually launching? Like what's the point of it? Bison Trails offers the premier multi-cloud, geographically distributed platform with enterprise-grade security, redundancy, and scaling to run highly efficient block-producing nodes. The point of this company is to work with tons of clients and build out different blockchains for them. They are blockchain and protocol agnostic, So when they get their companies, come to them and say, hey, we want to work with you. We want you to build us and to manage the network upgrades, the infrastructure, the scaling, the monitoring, the managing, the launching, everything revolving around a a protocol. They decide which protocol is the best based on certain properties. So we were able to have a really, really good conversation talking about different protocols, different networks, different coins, what properties work for some, what properties work for other, governance, constitutions, EOS, Tezos. Give some love to the sponsors. You're going to love this episode. I'm Charlie Shrem and I'll talk to you guys right in a minute. How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in, what, like 2011. But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. All you have to do is visit bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app, and when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder, like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when Bitcoin first launched? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to. Because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product. And a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like. um, And I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on like super high fees. And I don't like that. So check it out. BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. That's BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. You get a free card. You don't have to pay for it. Usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more. There's a commitment, but you don't have to do that here. It's a free card. There's literally no reason to not try it out. I've been using it for over three years. So check it out. Over the years, a lot of companies have tried doing crypto social networking. But the problem is that there are a lot of really good social networking apps already out there, like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. How do we build a social network that's perfect for crypto? Well, I want to talk about Pepo. Pepo is an amazing social media app that's built for the crypto community. What's really cool about it is that you can get rewarded for uploading and putting out good content. And you can also reward with crypto people who put up content that you really, really like. It's fast and simple, and it's the first crypto-powered app to be approved by the Apple and Google app stores. You can find me on Pepo right now at Charlie Shrem, the same handle as my Twitter, and I'm going to be posting interviews, travel videos, and more. So make sure you check out Pepo. It's super cool. Pepo.com. Enjoy. it. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce Check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I was saying just
1: before we started recording that uh, I'm a big fan. I've been a longtime listener and uh, a huge fan of a, lot of a lot of the guests you've had on the show. And i um, really pumped to be on the show myself for the first time.
0: Every time... Um A listener tells me that I feel like I have imposter syndrome. And I say to myself, people actually listen to this thing? But uh, but they did a report, and yeah, I mean last month I had over ten thousand unique individual listeners. So I mean that's that's pretty there, ten thousand people out there actually listening to the show. (laughs) So I'm pretty happy about that.
1: Congratulations. That's Thank uh you. congratulations on the success that's I mean that's huge. That's awesome. Well, and, and uh imposter syndromes is a real thing in anybody that's building something new. So and you know we could talk about that a little bit too but Imposter um, syndrome is a
0: real thing. Um it yeah. really 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 is and it's something that uh a lot of people do suffer from. I don't I don't understand like how I guess I never really understood how uh imposter like what are the what are some what are some common denominators that you know, you kind of have growing up or, you know, things that you've dealt with that um, make you start to, to feel that you're an imposter as you start to be more successful, because that's what it is. Essentially, it's it's that,
1: you know, I so I've actually thought I've talked about this uh, with friends, never, never really publicly, but I've talked about this with friends and other startup founders. Um, and I, I work with other startup founders and sort of like what I we would call like informal support groups around this. Um, I do think that if anybody who has an upbringing that isn't necessarily, uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to sort of single out of folks, but like, let's just say like you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Mm. Um, you generally speaking struggle with this and it's, it's pretty consistent. So it's actually, I think it's incredibly common for people that are it's successful a or have achieved something that where they, where they didn't feel like they were sort of, it was, their, it was their birthright. Um, and, and honestly, I've actually talked about uh, imposter syndrome in, in crypto, and I know you've been in crypto for a really long time. So it'd be super fun to sort of talk about because I, I actually entered the ecosystem, you know, a good amount later than you did. Um, and I've talked about uh, this with some friends as well, like what it actually means to have imposter syndrome in the blockchain and crypto space.
0: What's the what's the opposite of imposter syndrome? Because I feel like there are a lot of crypto people who get whatever that opposite <laughs> is, where they they see themselves as like divinity like divine right, <laughs> and appointed from God to, to be, you know, to be in the space or to be the leader of whatever they're leading.
1: Yeah. I think, um, you know, I, I don't know what the like ex- definition, uh, opposite is, but there is like a certain amount of hubris or, uh, um, you know, like blind conceit that sort of puts people in a position where they think like they are you know, God's gift to, to blockchain and crypto. And, um, I actually think that, uh, there's a combination of uninformed folks that, that fulfill that, but then there's also uh, some folks that are just incredibly, incredibly smart that don't realize that they're sort of creating a sense of, 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 um, tribalism or sort of closed closed mindedness around the space that makes it harder for other people to jump in so i think there's like both like a like a deliberate version and an, an uh like an, an unintended version of that 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 i've seen at least um, joining in the, the blockchain space are you uh, are
0: you know you're in new york are are you active yeah. in the in the local community the local new york community um i
1: uh, i'm definitely uh i i actually like to describe myself more as like a global community member when it comes to blockchain and crypto i'm for sure like no general I would well, say so, probably know most of the folks that are building. I was going to preface it with a question,
0: um, sure, and it's a question I really don't know really the answer to. But you know, for me, New York was one of the, um, what do they call Mesopotamia? It's like the birthplace of civilization. <laughs> I really think that New York was one of the birthplaces. There were other birthplaces that were happening at the same time, but I really think yeah. New York, for me at least, was the birthplace of 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 uh, the Bitcoin industry. So not of Bitcoin, but as an industry. Uh, you know, because the first Bitcoin conference that ever took place, the first gathering of Bitcoin people happened in New York in 2010, um, Bruce Wagner, uh, 2011 um, um, in Chelsea. And so, you know, that was that. And then yeah. me growing up in, in New York and then entering this community in New York, um, I got to see different. Uh, levels of, of the New York Bitcoin community. So there was like the early Bitcoin community and then eventually that changed. Then you had like the New York Bitcoin Center and then Nick Spanos had started and then that was going on from like 2013 to 2015 and that yep. was the center of the Bitcoin community. And then, I, you know, I left in 2016 and I've very rarely been back for the for the past four years. So like, yeah. how's the community now? Uh, do you, and I'm talking about um, I know the global community, but I'm talking about specifically yep. New York. Are you are you seeing more like, like Silicon Valley types? Are you seeing more like ideological people, or the people that are executives that are working in this space that they love the industry? Like, you know, kind of, um, you have your finger on the pulse. What's what's going on right now?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, there's two things that are super interesting about New York in in particular, uh, as it pertains to like crypto and blockchain. Um, and I actually think that some of this has developed. So if you left in 2016, some of this has developed since you left, which is which is quite interesting. You should come back and check it out. The first thing is that as blockchain and crypto becomes more and more uh, mainstream, and it's—I would say—it's not mainstream yet, but it's—you know—we're chipping away at that uh, more and more. New York has become uh, a really interesting hotbed of of discussion, of debate uh, around things like, you know, regulation and the things like uh, the sort of intersection of blockchain and crypto in the traditional finance world, and. Um, you know, I, I, think like up until probably about 2015, 2016, that, you know, those conversations were happening, but not at the same scale that they're happening today. And New York being one of, if not the dominant, um, financial hubs of the world, uh, is a natural place for those conversations to be happening. And I think that, you know, th- those conversations have been happening always, but I think they're happening at a much larger scale and, um, New York and obviously to some extent, uh, DC, uh, obviously those things are, you know, those things are happening uh, here. So that that's really interesting. Um, I have to, you know, sort of come clean. Uh, I'm probably, I would probably be categorized as one of those Silicon Valley types, even though I've no, that's uh, okay. My entire that's, career I know that <laughs> yeah. you are. That's
0: why we're talking. Yeah. 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 No, no. And, and I don't, I don't, I
1: don't, you know, it's funny. I don't, I don't see it as an insult or a slight or anything like that. It is, It that's the truth, right? Like I have been a startup founder for a very, very long time, uh, my whole career. And, uh, and so I would say yeah, we are seeing more and more, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 that's a generous way of putting it. Um, see I have battle scars. I have some battle wounds for sure. Um, but we're seeing a lot more folks in New York um, see opportunity to build uh, build in that the industry you're describing. Like like uh, you know, if New York was originally the place for for uh, blockchain and Bitcoin industry, I think it's continuing down that path. And um, th- there's also something really interesting around uh, geographic location. So New York being yeah, almost equidistant like from California world. and equidistant from Europe is really interesting, and then we're really, really close to the financial world. And so it, um, those two things make it really, really great place to do this.
0: It, it, I guess it, it helps me sleep at night knowing that the the industry and uh, and you know the next wave of entrepreneurs and the next companies, you know, ha- have been handed off to, uh, figuratively, of course to people like you into, 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 into real adults, entrepreneurs, basically not me. Um, I, you know, I've, I i should not <laughs> be running a 30 person company. I don't, I've never done it before. I don't, I need to learn still. Um,
1: so oh, man, that's, uh, that's very flattering. I appreciate it. Well, so, you know, <laughs> but, just looking at your
0: background for a second, um, you've done some, some really cool things. Uh, one, a company you founded was acquired by Etsy. Everyone knows Etsy. You were a senior man, you're a senior uh, director over there. Um, and and you did yeah. some you know for a long time and so um you did some really cool things over there i wanted to ask you um and then you founded bison trails and so congratulations yep. you guys raised i think it was like 25 million dollars right uh
1: so we raised a total of uh 30 almost 31 million um we raised a 25 25 and a half million dollar series a uh, in the fall and we had raised uh, a five million dollar um, um seed seed round uh, in the fall before that so um, we you know, in in total, quite a bit of money and growing the team and growing the business.
0: So Bison Trails, um, as far as I understand, um, is a full service, uh, um, company offering, um, all different, you're offering all different, um, infrastructure, you know, the ability for, for companies to run infrastructure on, uh, multiple blockchains, um, Yep. You know, agnostic, but you also manage everything from the development to making sure if there's a hard fork that, you know, all the nodes get upgraded. And, you know, that's super cool in and of itself. I want to get into, yep. into some of that. But um, what was interesting when I, when I started doing the research for the show is that you're a founding member of the Libra Association. And obviously that's been a hot topic or it was more of a hot topic (laughs) a few months ago. And, um, now it's kind of subsided a little bit, but it's still a very hot topic. I'm, I'm curious, like how did you find yourself in that position? Like tell us the untold stories of how Joe, you know, and bison trails (laughs) is now like you became a found, you're not just like a random member. Like you're one of the founding members of this. How did that all kind of play out?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I think there's a bit of an origin story there, like a, a bit of an origin story about the company and, and our mission and our vision. And you, you touched on it a little bit about kind of what we do. Um, so maybe I could start, maybe I should start there uh, and and kind of, and then get into like how we got involved with Libra. Does that, does that kind of like make, make the most sense? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so you're right. Uh, I have been an entrepreneur and a startup founder, a technical startup founder for a long time. Um, uh, my whole career, basically, I've, I've uh, started and, and um, built and, and um, exited a couple of, of uh, venture backed companies. Venture backed, meaning they were backed by venture investors, uh, venture capitalists. Um, and most of the, you know, if you actually look through, There's a thread that kind of ties all the different companies together. Uh, Most of the companies that I've built or most of the products I've built have been sort of like industry infrastructure type companies uh, that make it easier for people to build in a specific industry. Uh, And Bison Trails is uh, the company that we're working on currently. Um, It's infrastructure as a service company uh, specifically focused on making it easier for folks to interact with uh, uh, blockchains uh, in, in general um we've specifically focused on what we call alternative consensus uh networks so things that are not using proof of work um and there's a reason for that not that we have anything against proof of work networks um but uh specifically because of the way that those networks are secured um they use a very different type of of, of hardware that isn't this sort of like mining ASIC hardware um i know you've you've talked a lot about mining you've done some of it yourself and um funny enough uh my co-founder and i when we decided we were going to build it so we've we've been um We've we taken a very different approach to to getting involved in the blockchain and crypto space than than a lot of people. Most of the people I know have, have either uh, joined it, joined the blockchain space from because of some sort of um, ideological or political standpoint, or maybe a financial standpoint. Um, we actually approached it from a very very technical standpoint. So we're we're both technical. Um, we both went to engineering school, uh, but also. Um, when we were in engineering school, and this is kind of a story I haven't really told a lot of people, my co-founder and I worked on our, our economics thesis together. We both dual majored in economics. And one of the things we uh, studied in economics-
0: did, <laughs> did you? Yep. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's my degree's awesome. in economics. Yeah. It's so funny. But I, I'll never yes, call so... myself an economist. Yeah, I will, i don't think
1: I'll ever call myself an economist either. Um, but we both, so we were both engineers. We'd studied engineering together, and that's where we'd met. we have been working together for 17 years, which is- great we have a great relationship and have you know been through all the sort of ups and downs of starting and building companies together um but we uh, also both studied economics and, and people ask like how'd you get involved in crypto and i actually think that um i've been involved psychologically and, and mentally in the blockchain and crypto space you know my whole life in from an interest perspective um, and so at the time we did our economics thesis on um, this concept of social well-being and social welfare and, and this idea of measuring people's um, um people being like individuals, uh, happiness and success, uh, without using things like GDP, um, at a macro scale. So without looking at like, you know, financial success, how can you actually measure people's uh, happiness and success and Wait. Um, things like data integrity and privacy and, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, security, uh, all play into whether or not people feel safe and happy.
0: And this, this was like when it was
1: not cool. This is socio- <laughs> this but This is ago.
0: socioeconomics. I mean, this is totally, this is what I've dedicated my life work to study. Um totally. <laughs> exactly what you say like most people think that economics is pure math. Um and I would argue that it's very little math. Um it's very little someone sitting in a room with a lever system, you know, to control the economy and 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 you know the Federal Reserve and various uh forces, you know, the forces at B, they don't realize that when it comes to 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 economics or how an economy works or how uh, um not just a financial infrastructure, but it comes down to the people and you have to know the people and you have to know like in their brains, how they act, react towards value and money. And it's so wildly different, like Americans versus um, um, a simple chain. Like you look at uh, um, Greek, you know, Greek people, uh, it's just a different mentality of money. So it's a, yeah. you, know, you can't treat and compare economies Fairly that way, without really going into, you know, seventy percent of it is is like you said, it's sociology, social. I still, I run, a, I, run a, I want to read that paper actually. It's really cool.
1: <laughs> I would, I would honestly, it's probably the paper is probably d- dated by now. And, and and if I'm being honest with myself, we were kids really when we were working on it. But what what's interesting is that it wasn't popular at the time. Like when we were doing this, our thesis advisor, our economics advisor, was like, "What are you doing? This is like no one cares about this," and we were looking at this. You know, and, and you know to put it simply like you're saying um, people's happiness is often not tied to financial to, to financials right people can, if they feel feel safe and secure or they feel um, or, or they you know they, they they feel like they can be a part of something or a part of a, a tribe or a part of a community um, they will forego financial gain for to, to be happy and, and this is you know it's, it's an it's an odd uh, it's an odd concept, um, but I also think that the sort of psychology around economics and the, the game theory and the socioeconomic pieces to it um, are what drove my co-founder and I, when we um, decided to build in the blockchain space, um, really drove us to it. And, and, and you know, I, I think after. Why? Uh, so
0: but why? Like what, what aspect of that drove you to this? The blockchain
1: and crypto space is uh, the first time in my life. That I and I, I've been, you will know, date myself, but I've been around for some interesting technological revolutions, like the internet or uh, the sort of mobile revolution. Uh, both, both of which I would call revolutions or, or evolutions. Uh, the blockchain uh, revolution, to me, one was instrumental enough to have global to affect global change, and two, uh, I think it's because we just I just care, I just care about people, care. There's things, you know, I think like we are, you know our experiences as we grow up and, uh, you know, that the experiences we live define who we are as people. And, um, some people are driven by different things. And one of the things that's been, that I've been driven by is, is, is not necessarily like financial gain or financial success, but really about like a sense of fulfillment and happiness. And, um, I can think back to a few like random scenarios over the course of my career where I've attempted to try and solve some interesting problem that really couldn't be solved until, uh, some of these decentralized technologies and networks were being built. Um, for instance, I remember in 20, 2007, my co-founder and I were working on this concept of what if we could build a social network where people owned their own data and could actually it could seamlessly and easily sell access to their data to advertisers directly instead of using a a, you know, a centralized social network. Um, it, this was impossible in 2007 and quite frankly, like I don't think we had the presence of mind to think of something like Bitcoin <laughs> you know or something like a crypto network. Um, and, you know, today I look at that and I'm like, wow, it's like so obvious. There's, you, you could build one of those things on one of the hundreds or thousands of, of different crypto networks that exist. Yeah, but you could call up Bison Trails of...
0: and they can build it for you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. right. And, and so, um, you know, I, I sort of fast forward, you know, 13 years later and I realized like this is something that we've just always, always cared about. And uh, in 2016, so, so um, funny enough, uh, we've also been angel investors for a long time. So we've actually angel invested in a lot of crypto projects before starting to build a company in the space um at the time i we was still on the leadership team at etsy uh, and aaron echo and i were thinking about what we wanted to do next and we found ourselves in this position where we were fortunate enough to say like hey let's take a step back and look at what we actually want to work on for the next 20 years like what do we care about you know like like if you could really work on anything what do you care about and this is something that is, I would say, is very sort of startup foundry. You realize it's hard; nothing is easy, and you have to care about it enough that you're going to stick with it through a bear market, through a bull market, through thick and thin, um, because it's going to be tough. And we could not get away from the blockchain space. It just it didn't matter what what we were <laughs> sort of like what we were trying to do or what we were trying to work on. We could not get away from this idea that um, blockchain technology and crypto networks were an inevitability in the world and had plenty of um, indicators that pointed to this uh, sort of, you know, not, not just adoption, but um, some of the trends that we had seen in previous technology revolutions. So like when I was a kid, I was like that kid that was in, you know, internet IRC channels uh, and, and, and folks would be like, well, people aren't going to use this. This is like a inaccessible technology. It doesn't make sense. It's like only nerds are doing it. And uh, I remember like in some of the early early, uh, blockchain and crypto you know forums or conversations it just felt very very similar you know very passionate group of folks that cared deeply about the specific technology and would sort of stop at nothing to make sure that it, it uh it came to life and so um you know when we were uh looking at what we wanted to do next and um you know we kind of joke like being a startup founder is a bit of you're, you're a bit of a masochist because it's you know doing it once is hard enough and yeah. the sort of psychological. You want to just inflicting
0: uh, pain on yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. And, and so I remember like when I, I, I you know, called up uh, a couple of friends and I said, yeah, we're doing this thing. This is like the idea. Cause you know, the first stage is kind of like what you think, what do you think, you know, sort of socialize the idea of what you're thinking about doing? And, and everybody was like, you're nuts. You're out of your mind. Like, let alone you want to start another company. You want to do it in this, like, you know, the space that's, you know, for better or worse, some people think is you know ponzi scheme or like criminal bitcoin's or, a scam you know, man,
0: man. Crypto's a scam <laughs> yeah, exactly. i would not get in this space
1: exactly <laughs> exactly and where did you um, get the
0: name from have you eaten bison so, before
1: um i have eaten bison before i um, like it it's pretty good yeah i've had i've had like a bison burger yeah, it's um, so good i uh, it, it, it's super yummy it's, it's lean uh, it's it's a really good meat um, the, the name actually comes, it's a hat tip to one of the first projects that we did in the the uh, blockchain space was we actually built a proof of work mine. I know this sounds crazy, um, but uh, my co-founder and I built a, um, what would be considered large for two people, um, but small in the, you know, in the scale of like, you know, HUD 8 or yeah. whatever bit theory. Um, but, you know, we, we built a, a, a five megawatt uh, proof of work mining facility uh, in in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. we So so we did, when we first started getting involved in the blockchain space, and, and this is actually ties into sort of Bison Trails and infrastructure and why we started looking at it, um, we actually asked ourselves this exact question, which is like, you know, what is powering these networks? Um, how are they secured? How do they work? And we did the only thing that sort of startup founders know how to do, which is, you know, it's not enough to research it. You actually have to like build it and do it yourself. So we actually built a mine. We were like, okay, at the time, proof of work was the dominant um, uh, form of infrastructure and security for these networks. Um, it still is, I should say, at the time. It still is the dominant uh, form. Uh, but we are obviously seeing trends uh, uh, moving to uh, alternative forms of secure network. Um, but we we decided to build a mine. Uh, and so we had spent a ton of time. Um, I, I won't get into like how to build a mine and all the stuff about building a mine. I know you've done some shows on this before, but um, we actually spent a ton of time learning, digging deep and understanding uh, infrastructure in the blockchain space. And one of the things we couldn't get away from was we, uh, had spent some time, you know, working in the blockchain and crypto space, meeting people, getting to know folks. And um, we found that some of the smartest and most interesting people we had ever met were working in this community. But then when we started to sort of dig around in the mining space, we found that there was a crazy disconnect between, or, 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 you know, a disconnect, or even like a, 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 a you know, like a, a separate between these folks that were designing these new protocols or working on these new blockchains or building products and services that were you know, really excited about people getting involved. And then you talk to like miners and it was incredibly closed off. No one would talk about what they're trying to do. And, um, you know, it took us a little while to understand that the reason why that was, was most likely because they were trying to protect a competitive advantage of some sort. But, um, you know, the truth is after building one mining, there isn't really strong but it, and it's not just that thoughts.
0: like a good parallel to that is and one of the things that that you do is that it's very difficult to even interface with the various developer groups of these projects so here you are trying to launch you know your own let's just say your you know Dole uh, bananas and you want to launch your yeah. own permissioned chain that allows you to maintain and track uh your banana supply chain and it's a yeah. wonderful wonderful utility for a blockchain. Wonderful. So now you're looking and you're like, all right, maybe we'll build it on, I don't know, Tezos. And then, and you go Google and you're like, how the fuck do I launch this thing on Tezos? Who do I call (laughs) So, you know, here comes in you. And actually I was, it's funny that you meant, you saying that I was just talking to someone the other day on another episode. I haven't released it yet. And it's a major company launching a major, you know, spent millions of dollars in R&D. And I was like, "Yeah." He's yeah. like, "Yeah." We spent the first year building this on Monero, and I was like, "Monero." And then he's like, "Yeah." We do not really know what we're doing, and Monero hard forks so many fucking times that I'm I can't deal with it anymore. I moved on. I'm going to Ethereum.
1: <laughs> oh, That's so funny. No, that's that's exactly it's right. A real that's problem, exactly right? So we, yeah, yeah. So we had um, it's it's a huge it's a huge problem, and, and it's, it's really is the genesis of the company, and, and not to you know, sort of drag the story on too long, but. The name comes from us spending a lot of time. We'd spent six months traveling around the country looking for an ideal location for this proof of work mine that we had been building. We would spent a lot of time in Wyoming. At the time, it was illegal to do things around crypto and blockchains in Wyoming. Uh, But it was was on the horizon that that was going to change. And the state animal of uh, Wyoming is the bison. And when we were naming a our company, which is uh, one of the hardest things that a founder actually has to do, is <laughs> naming a company because it sticks with you forever. Uh, we sort of had two options. Um, it option really one does. was name it something. You know, it's like your option one is like name it something very infrastructure-y. That's sort of like you know, you know, something about like blocks or formation or infrastructure. And the other thing is like name it something that's memorable that maybe is meaningful to you. And um, we spent a lot of time in Wyoming. Uh, the interesting thing about bison is that they're this like in- incredibly powerful sort of untamed animal. Uh, in the early days of uh, the gold rush, folks followed bison trails uh, from the east coast to the west coast, and so they were they were paving these paths forward for pioneers. Oh, it's so cool! And and so the the, the yeah, and so we were that's like, well, so the bison's cool. really cool." And we were like, we're building this company that's making it easier for folks to participate in these chains. We're sort of paving a path forward for new. You new are the Bison
0: Trails. The that's what, oh, that's very cool.
1: <laughs> it, it, exactly. And so, um, and, and it stuck. you know, like we kind of like workshopped it. Like Mike Kevin and I were like, well, what do we think about this? And we were like, you know, okay, I think I really love it. And it, it, stuck. it
0: stuck. Okay. So, yeah. so there's, there's a fork in our conversation. I want to, I want to yeah, get into Bison Trails and, and we will in a second, but. Um, <laughs> sure. Because my listeners tell me that I'm constantly interrupting and then and then the stories get (laughs) forgotten. So go back to how that led into um, you somehow being involved in in the Libra Association and how that all played out.
1: Yes. Great. So uh, we've 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 now we've named the company. Uh, We've we've built a company that's focused on infrastructure and democratizing access to these different chains. We find ourselves in a position where we've we have a deep understanding how infrastructure and security works in a blockchain space. More so than I was surprised that people really understood. If you talk to folks like, "How does a block get formed?" or, you know, "What does mining actually mean?" The majority of folks, even in the blockchain space, don't understand it. But we're still in this posi- position where you know, mining and and securing blockchains and the infrastructure is it's really this like sort of money problem. It's like how can you efficiently deploy capital into like a mining farm kind of thing and build one well. Um, but there's a shift in the market that's happening where folks are moving away new new protocols and blockchains are moving away into sort of uh, proof of authority or proof of stake networks and um they're they're experimenting with new ways to secure these different networks and we find ourselves square in the middle of this shift where one we have a deep understanding of how blockchains work and how they're secured and how the infrastructure should look two we're uniquely positioned to be able to build uh enterprise-grade infrastructure to help support these new types of blockchains And, and this is something that we had done in the past so we're software engineers. We're really great at software. Um, we have a great understanding of hardware and how these networks work and, and sort of large-scale infrastructure deployments. But now we understand how the, the network should work and how they should be operated and orchestrated and what it means to like run infrastructure and computers that can interact with the blockchain all over the world seamlessly and easily. Uh, and there's a shift in the network in, in the in the, the ecosystem happening where you have you know networks like Tezos and Cosmos and Polkadot and New and Nier and Solana and um, you know X, Y, and Z, they're all trying to solve different types of problems. Um, but are you know incredibly important in the the sort of progression of the blockchain and crypto ecosystem and we really took a step back and said look like we you know the, the genesis of the company is just that Aaron and I my co-founder and I were trying to build a couple of projects on ethereum at one point we had built like a bot that was you know, trading in exchanges at another point uh, we'd built a wallet and uh, we realized that reliable and secure infrastructure was was a common denominator between all the projects we could not build something that was super reliable or super secure, super uh, valuable, unless we built this infrastructure component ourselves. And so we were like, look, this is a new key piece. If people are going to build in this space, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be as big as we think it's going to be, a company needs to be formed that's focused on helping people deploy, orchestrate and run infrastructure in these distributed technologies. So that's why we built the company. We started doing some really early work with a bunch of protocol teams, like the ones I just mentioned, um, helping them do things like run test nets and um, helping them run like adversarial networks and helping them deploy and orchestrate and measure and, 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 you know, do things like run a test net and shut it down and shut down nodes and then spin up nodes and, and understand the, what the implications of those things were on the, the protocols themselves and like how the blockchain would respond and could it recover and would it go down? Would it stall? Would it halt? So we were doing a lot of like really uh, unique and unscalable work. And uh, and we kind of had built this reputation with these protocol teams as being like a, a company and a team that was highly technical, understood this problem really well, and was working really closely with these different protocol teams. And we worked super closely with 20 plus, 25 plus different like high, uh, high value protocol teams. And so about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, um, I was at the Grin Conference in San Francisco. And a mutual friend of mine uh, introduced me to uh, someone that was working on Libra at Facebook. And that's how I got involved. And the reason why they introduced me to them was because the the team at Facebook who was pioneering and and sort of moving forward with Libra, were asking some of their their contacts, like who in the ecosystem knows blockchains really well? Who knows the infrastructure really well? We're trying to build this new project. Um, We want to talk to the best teams in the space. And so they spent a lot of time talking to different folks that were building infrastructure in the space. And, um, we met them. I'd never worked with or met anybody at Facebook before. And that was how we got in contact with them. Um, and they came to us and they said, Will you
0: guys be part of the development team that, that builds out, um, Libra.
1: Yeah. So, so, um, they came to, so, you know, basically they came to us and they said, uh, we are building this, you know, we're working on this project. We want to build this association of, of, of of companies and and nonprofits or or social impact groups and folks in industry folks in you know all these different in, in these different industries and technology and, and blockchain uh, and we're trying to solve this you know this build build this network this this leaper network and you know I think honestly like I was quite skeptical I don't I'm not I'm not uh, your quintessential Facebook user I don't really use the product very much and so I was kind of like what I didn't really understand what they were trying to do. Um, and then in in sort of getting to understand what they were trying to do and the implications of what they were trying to do, uh, did we then realize, okay, there's actually something that's super interesting. What are um, they
0: trying to do? That's a question that everyone asks, like, what's the guiding mission statement for Libra? What's the success? How will success be measured? How do you actually live your life on crypto? How do you do it? I've been doing it since I first got started with Bitcoin back in, what, like 2011, But since 2016, I've been using the BitPay debit card to spend my Bitcoin on a day-to-day basis. And it's been such a great product that I've been using it for over three years. BitPay is now sponsoring Untold Stories, and they're going to be giving away free Visa debit cards to all my listeners. All you have to do is visit bitpay.com forward slash Charlie. It's such an easy card to use. You get the card in the mail, you download the BitPay app, you put Bitcoin on the app. And when you want to send Bitcoin from the app into your debit card, it only takes a few seconds and you can spend your Bitcoin anywhere credit cards are offered. It's really so easy. You almost wonder, like, why didn't this come out in 2011 when Bitcoin first launched? Well, it was very difficult to do. In fact, I actually tried to launch my own debit card, but I wasn't able to. Because the credit card companies were very reluctant to do it. But now BitPay launched their product. And a lot of other companies have launched credit cards and debit cards using Bitcoin over the years. I still will only use the BitPay card. I'm very loyal to the brands I like. um, And I hope you guys are too. The fees are very low. You can use it to withdraw cash at ATMs. You can use it all around the world with very, very low fees. A lot of companies have tacked on like super high fees. And I don't like that. So check it out. BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. That's BitPay.com forward slash Charlie. You get a free card. You don't have to pay for it. Usually the card costs like 10 bucks or more. There's a commitment, but you don't have to do that here. It's a free card. There's literally no reason to not try it out. I've been using it for over three years. So check it out. And thanks for listening to Untold Stories. Over the years, I've learned a lot from crypto winters, a lot of the bull and bear markets, and there's a lot of things that I've learned. But one of the most important things that I've learned is that community is one of our strongest assets. It allows us to continue working together and talking to each other during the good times, the bad times, and hopefully not the ugly times. Over the past few months, I've been speaking with the Pepo team. These guys have spent years working with members of the crypto community and learning what we want in social sharing apps. And I'm really excited that Pepo is now one of the sponsors for Untold Stories. Even in the few weeks since they launched Pepo at DevCon, not that long ago, I've seen them make so many improvements, like hashtag search based on feedback from people using the app and so many different features that combine the best parts of what we already love, that parts of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but it combines it in a perfect way with such a nice user experience and good security. It combines them so perfectly that it looks like, and it actually was built for the crypto community. You can download the app by going to pepo.com forward slash stories, and you can find me there, at Charlie Shrem, the same as my Twitter handle. That's a question that everyone asks: like, what's the guiding mission statement for Libra? What's the success? How will success be measured? Yeah. So, um,
1: you know, when we when we joined the association, um, the idea, and, and you know, and, and still, I should say, when we joined the association, um, the idea around Libra is really about creating financial inclusion, uh, and it's actually not that it's it's you know it's about fi- creating financial inclusion and it's not all that different in creating like a better system for transmitting transacting moving um moving money around than we have today and it's not all that different from the broader blockchain and crypto mission as well right um you have like sort of different folks on the spectrum um in the crypto space in the blockchain space um that you know are either politically motivated or socially motivated, Ideologically, or motivated. yeah there's all the sure. different reasons Totally, but if you really like combine those things together, right, and you start to mature the ecosystem, you realize that everybody is trying to solve actually a very similar problem, which is how do we create a more fair, more open, more transparent ecosystem? Um, And it also aligns with you know bison trails and like what we're trying to do is like how do we create more transparency around the infrastructure? How do we open up this idea that like there's a closed off ecosystem and make it easier for people to understand what it means to secure a network or to run infrastructure in a network or to build a network? And so. Uh, you know libra has been is is currently focused on that. and um, and and that's uh, that's the plan. Um, about a month ago, I was elected to the technical steering committee for Libra. So uh, that's a group that uh, you know a group that governs the open source project. so you you had asked, um, am I involved in the technology side of it? Uh, being that we're a highly technical company, um, I uh, have joined a, a group of folks, uh, a small group of folks to to govern the open source project itself. Um, and the project open source. You can go see it on GitHub. Um, I think it's, you know, I actually think it's GitHub slash Libre. Uh and um, you know, and and the development there is, is all open source. Uh, and so we do things like um, help uh, elect uh, folks that are contributing to the project, and then help uh, drive and and um, and govern the the roadmap and sort of the, the decisions that are being made. And so yeah, yeah, super cool.
0: The question I was just thinking that I wanted to to ask earlier was, do you um, did you guys think that the um, the way the announcement was going to go down? Did you did it actually go down the way you guys thought it would go down? I mean, there was a lot of. Um, it was it was very polarizing when when Libra was announced it was extremely polarizing, controversial it still is um, and then some members yeah. have dropped out I mean there's things are settling now but did it, it, you guys kind of like say that you know people are going to be controversial did you think about that before?
1: I think that I did personally um, I do think the association did as well I will say I will say at the time of the announcement you have to remember the association wasn't yet formed. So it wasn't officially formed. Um, it was still relatively loose in a sense that the folks that were uh, uh, members um, you know, had, hadn't spent a ton of time together or who were going to be members, hadn't spent a time together, hadn't had a lot of conversations um, as a group. We have had a lot of those since. And obviously the association was formed in October in, in Switzerland. And um, we've been creating a regular uh, uh, cadence of uh, of meetings and, and you know working on things like governance and technology. And, and that's all moving forward really, really well, which is great at the time. Uh, of the announcement that was still very, very early from an association formation perspective. Um, I, given that I had spent a decent amount of time in the blockchain and crypto space, totally imagine it being a pretty controversial and polarizing event, um, especially since it's really hard to fully grasp what Facebook was actually trying to do from the announcement. And, and um, you know, uh, generally speaking, uh, you know, media companies look for, the, the you know type of headline or type of article or type yeah of, content of is going to drive the most clicks and so they create more polarizing headlines um, and that aren't that aren't necessarily lying but aren't either necessarily like t- telling the whole picture right it's kind of like tailored to, to their audience and so um, you know if you look if you actually from day one like from the original announcement it was like Facebook is mo- is creating this initiative to create a a, uh, an assor- a consortium or an association of folks that are going to help govern this blockchain and. Um, for the you know the first few months it was really like Facebook's Libra and it's actually not Facebook's Libra right Facebook is one vote alongside Bison Trails alongside all the other members
0: yes but Facebook was like spearheaded it and this is the brain totally. chi- this is the brainchild of of Mark you know so or at least totally. I think it is or David you know and David and everyone so that's why people call it Facebook's Libra and and just like the SEC said something that may not be decentralized now could be decentralized in the future but I have a question that sure. may, that may rack your brain that I'm that I'm kind of thinking about now. <laughs> You know, you you study socioeconomics. We talked a lot about earlier about, you know, humans and the study and, you know, the difference between Americans and just, you know, Greeks and um, (laughs) how how economics and economies operate work and how we don't know how they work sometimes. And there are a lot of data that we don't have. Do you think, and this is a two-part question because answer from an American perspective and then answer from a global citizen perspective. Okay. Do you think that... Um, Americans trust um, a corporate-created currency like Facebook or an association of corporations over government-created currency? And is that why the U.S. government, the French government, and the others got so, like— you know, crazy about this, like, and it dragged Mark, David in, David Marcus into Senate hearings and stuff like that within like a week of, <laughs> and the association wasn't even formed yet. You know what I mean? Like, and people were calling yeah. for Mark's head on a, on a platter. So do you, but do you think yeah. that's why the government is afraid of this? Because maybe they're like, oh shit, like, like we, we, like up until now, now we're not the only ones that could issue currency anymore.
1: I, you know, I can only speak from, from my own personal perspective and i also um i think that uh you know it's it's that's it's a it's a hard that's a hard question to answer because it would be me generalizing about like a specific population there is no answer it's
0: just for conversation
1: yeah for for conversations sake i think that um generally speaking at least in my experience people uh trust governments uh to issue currencies and and generally trust governments more than they trust private corporations um, both in America and across the world. Uh, and uh, And so it's like from a trust perspective, um, that's that's kind of what it feels like where we're at. Um, there's a few illustrations that like you know you can kind of use as evidence, but you can probably point to some evidence uh, biased evidence in the other direction. but you know things like um, you know the 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 you know the monitoring that the government does over uh, data and, and and data privacy um, versus like the monitoring that like you know some private companies do to support like ad revenues. Um, I feel like we there's a lot more up and arms around the, the the stuff that private companies are doing versus what governments are doing and that's most likely because people trust the governments more than they trust those private companies not not to say any of them is better or worse but just huh. like if you look, kind of tried to look at why, different incentives what people get mad at. yeah you look at like different incentives and you know the, the root there is most likely that people believe that private companies are, fo- are focused on revenue or focused on profits uh, whereas governments should have their best interests. Uh, in mind, and a lot of governments do have their their constituents' best interests in mind and um, aren't necessarily profit-seeking. And so there, there's like a really natural, very normal, yeah. very and we can elect our why,
0: politicians, why but we can't uh, you know elect our, our corporate powers. Um, That's exactly right. That's exactly right.
1: So it, it all kind of makes sense.
0: From speaking to you in my research, uh, you understand the value of decentralization, you, under, you understand the value of— um, you know, not having a central point of failure, and that your yep. your weakest link your str- your weakest link is your strongest point is your weakest link. Whatever that saying is, I forget. Um, you know, yep. you know what I'm saying. On a high level, what will governance look like for the Lib- Libra blockchain? Of course, no one expects. You know, decentralization is a is a spectrum, and so yep. you look at a, you look at it as a spectrum. Like you you look at something like Bitcoin is. On the path to decentralization, I've, I've said this before on the show, and then you look at something like Ripple and it's more of like, hey, we want to be more centralized. <laughs> and that's fine. No, but that's what they want. That, that, that's, that's, I use that as an example because that needs to, I need to show uh, the opposite of Bitcoin, right? Where will Libra fall on this? It, it, you want it to be decentralized, right? But do the yeah. others want it to be? Do they want to have backdoors and safeguards? The government is probably going to be pushing you guys for these backdoors. Um, I'm curious to see how this all plays out.
1: I'm, you know, I am one vote in the Libra Association in governing the Libra, the Libra, uh, the Libra project, the Libra Association, and and the technology. And so, um, you know, I like to think that like any healthy network or any healthy association, there's a you know good amount of discourse and a good amount of discussion and debate around like how things should work and why they should work those ways. Um, So far, that's actually been the case. It's been really great. The association has been pretty engaged and active. And uh, uh discussing the kinds of things that you're describing um you know a lot of these things are still in works and some of them i can't really talk about just because like the, we, the association hasn't we haven't you know formed. we would like to it's try an D. Like, yes yeah exactly it's still in sort of the development phase of the research phase and we, we haven't uh, formalized an opinion as an association yet. so it'd be unfair for me to independently go and say like this is where we're going but uh, what's been great to see is that folks are having within the association are having those conversations and um, we are mission aligned in trying to create financial inclusion, which is which is really quite cool. Um, I do, you know, outside of Libra or otherwise, I do agree with you that um, decentralization is a spectrum. I think that uh, you know, fully permissionless uh, networks are one way of achieving decentralization, but I also, quite frankly, like having been in infrastructure space, and this is something that coming from it from a technology perspective, I think people don't realize is that. The line in the sand that a lot of maximalists or fundamentalists draw around decentralization is pretty arbitrary. Um, you know, we, we will talk about things like.
0: No, I agree. There's uh, no. Know, there's no line. It's impossible.
1: Well, it's just, it's just arbitrary, right? Like I agree with you. Bitcoin is moving is is quite decentralized. Is moving more and more decentralized. But I would also state that, like, having been in the Bitcoin mining space for a while, there's probably four or five pools that control the majority of hash rate in. Bitcoin and if they were to act nefariously or to collude, they could and actually affect Bitcoin, which would be bad. Um, that's true of almost every proof of work crypto network. Uh, there's, you know, there is a, an arbitrary sort of like no one really talks about the fact that every computer on the internet generally runs Linux. Um, there is a sort of centralization point there. You know, almost every miner in the Bitcoin network is built and manufactured by TSMC or by Bitmain. No one talks about that. Uh, you know, it's like there are generally uh, sort of centralization points, and and the the thing isn't it's it's not important. It's not that it's important to call them out. It's important to note the folks that are building in the space, what their missions and their visions are, and that's what's important to me. So, what
0: incentivizes really them? To move, them? Yeah. Exactly.
1: What motivates them? What incentivizes them? And are we moving in the right direction? And that I think Bitcoin is definitely moving in the right direction. I think a lot of these other crypto networks are moving in the right direction, including Libra. Right. Like just having a uh, 100 deciding uh, members uh, governing this body is is way better than having one or two or three. Right. So um, I couldn't I could not tell you if it's better to have, you know, if it's what the marginal increase is of, one, you know, 31 over 30 or 35 over 34. Um, I don't actually know. Yeah, and, of course. And so it, parts, parts of these things are still very much experiments.
0: It's exciting. So at, at Bison Trails, um, you guys work on on all different types of infrastructure needs, not just you know for the Libra Association, but you do things like like you know launching, managing, monitoring, yep. scaling, securing the infrastructure. You know, like we talked about earlier, handling network upgrades, but you're also protocol agnostic. Who decides which protocol, which network to build on? <laughs> Is it you? Is it the clients? Do they come to you with certain properties? Walk us through kind of like how that gets decided. It's almost like ordering from a takeout menu, if you will, right? <laughs> you want some yeah, ETH mixed it, with Monero? Like, what do you want?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think um, okay, so there's, there's two things that I would, I would mention here. One is that we don't have a perfect uh, scenario for um, the, the deciding or, or determining which protocols that we support or we work with. Um, we use a combination of things like uh, uh, market demand as well as uh, technical alignment with our ability to support it in a meaningful way. So our whole, our whole, the, the entire thing that we measure is like, are we actually helping the network itself? So a network like, if I were to, you know, hi, you know, hyperbo- uh, hi, create a hyperbole here and say like, okay, you know, there's a protocol that wants to have, you know, five validator nodes on the network. Like Bison Trails is probably not the best partner because we, what we've done is we built a platform that can deploy, manage, and orchestrate, uh, you know, blockchain nodes all around the world uh, in a secure fashion. Um, in the you know infinite number, so we can deploy like you know, an infinite amount of them uh, almost in real time. And so that's really great for a network that needs to have like thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of nodes that are running on this network. If you have three, it's probably not that big of a deal. <laughs> and so, um, so we, we kind of look at like market viability. We look at why um, why the the, the crypto uh, or the the blockchain network is trying to exist and what the mission is, and are we sort of mission aligned there? Uh, and then we look at if we can be valuable. Like if we can be helpful to the ecosystem and, and this kind of aligns with like our whole vision of making it easier for people to build in the space and to interact in the space. And so um, that's kind of the, the, the you know, general um, thought process around like how, uh, how we think about adding uh, new networks. Um, and then, yeah. And and then, uh, and then the other thing is that like, we obviously want to get to a point where we, we, uh, lower the the amount of time or decision making that we have to make as a company to support those protocols. Like in an ideal world, uh, a protocol team could come to us and say, "Like we want uh, your infrastructure platform to support our protocol," and you know they could you know paste in a GitHub link to their their project, and it would just work. It would just be on the platform. We're we're not there yet. It actually takes a good amount of technology work to get there.
0: What's your take on on governance in in the chain itself? Like you have some. Yep. Some blockchains that, like like Bitcoin, for example, where there's virtually no governance and things happen the way they happen, and for better or for worse. Um, you know, I'll leave yeah. my opinion for a second. But then you have other ones like Tezos, for example, that's super, super governance. Thought of every <laughs> little thing. EOS <laughs> EOS put a constitution in their code. So, it's you know, two <laughs> extremes here. You have the Libra Association yeah. as one form of governance. Do you think... Uh, we should have, you know, these these protocols should have some governance b- baked in, no governance or like super governance.
1: I actually think that all three of those and and everything that exists on the spectrum between them, is still very much an experiment.
0: I, I love think it. It's a great answer.
1: I, I, I think that's the truth. I think that like we don't actually know. I think as a company, Bison Trails is protocol and blockchain agnostic in that we are a pure play technology provider. We make it incredibly easy for people to. To, to run nodes on these networks without having to uh, do this in-house, you know, commit the engineering time in-house. But we don't take opinions. So if a network forks, it's up to you to decide if you believe in, the, you know, which fork path you believe in and which fork path you want to operate on. We don't actually have we don't take a decision or, or a stance on that. Um, and that, that's you know that's true across the board. What we do want to do is make it easier for people to engage with those protocols, regardless of how the governance goes. So if it's how do you do on chain voting in Tezos, we can help support that through our infrastructure. Or how do you support a fork in Bitcoin if you're running Bitcoin nodes? We make sure that our infrastructure can support the you know major forks and not have the folks that are running those nodes have to worry about maintaining, upgrading, um, et cetera, et cetera. So really, really trying to stay completely agnostic here and making it easier for the whole
0: ecosystem. It's very interesting that you mentioned nodes because... Um the health of any, any, and I had this conversation yesterday, the health of any protocol, um, one of the best, you know, gauges of decentralization, but also like how healthy a protocol is doing in its community is how many people are maintaining a copy of the chain. How many people mm-hmm. are running nodes? Um, there are some projects that have two people. There are some projects that have 20, 30,000, um, um, active nodes running. But yep. what's interesting is that this is, it's a, um, the importance of, of node, of operating a node is a, is a very, um, I hate to use this term, but it's, it's very prevalent in the, in the maximalism circles in the, in the, in mm-hmm. the, it's very prevalent in that. And then you have these other, you know, the Bitcoin cash, Ethereum, they don't really care for, you know, the, having people operating nodes. It's like a metric that doesn't really matter. Like Vitalik doesn't care if the Ethereum blockchain gets to uh, a, 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 a thousand gigabytes or 10,000 gigabytes because it doesn't matter, you know, how many people are running same thing with Bitcoin. In fact, the whole point of having bigger blocks is less people will be able to run nodes. So where did you get that, (laughs) uh, um, thought process from? Why are you, you know, I guess I was intrigued by that. Yeah, I
1: think, um, I think that that comes from, and you know, and this is, this is kind of, uh, this sort of dabbles into the the sort of vision and mission of the company and and sort of my co-founder and I, it comes from, Uh, history of having built uh worked in early technologies and having built uh technologies and systems at scale you know there's a sort of like uh, rhetoric or this mantra that was going around in like the early uh, i don't want to point out or call out specifically any community but in like the cosmos community specifically this was like a thing that i remember reading that like you know folks will run you know cosmos validators on like a raspberry pi and they can do it in like their closet whether people actually intended to do that or not doesn't really matter it's more like the rhetoric that was getting passed around and for me, it seemed impossible that a network that was going to be transferring billions or trillions of dollars of value could be secured using, um, you know, unreliable, insecure, uh, uh, sort of immature infrastructure, and and and, so, uh, and and that came from experience having run large scale, uh, you know, large scale infrastructure operations and 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 uh, built a bunch of products and services that um, required mature infrastructure. It also, you know, came from a place of being a builder myself, right? Like trying to build in Ethereum and realizing, you know, at the time, this is a few years ago at the time, you know, three quarters or 80% of folks building on Ethereum were relying on Infura infrastructure. And we're like, this is crazy. Like, sure, maybe folks in the ETH ecosystem think it doesn't matter how many nodes you run, but it's actually, it's it's almost a a fallacy. It actually matters incredibly uh, how, how many nodes are on the network. I don't know if it's a perfect determination of how valuable or how healthy a network is, but it's super important. You're right. Like there's computers that need to keep copies of the chain. And, you know, if you, if you, again, if you play this out to, it's like edges. If there's only two computers that are keeping copies of the chain and one computer goes down, then you're, you have a single point of failure. If that computer goes down or gets attacked, then the chain doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) That's not a good thing. Right. Versus if you have, you know, a hundred thousand computers that are, know creating consensus or keeping or keeping data backups um, it's much much harder for that chain to go down and so you're thinking as from a entrepreneur or a product and service uh, designer or builder's perspective you want to be building something on a blockchain that's going to be around it's important that's not going to break it's not going to break and it's going to be around right you don't want to build a business that's going to last for 20 years on something that's going to die in six months and so it really like it gets down to this like fundamentals of like what makes a blockchain not necessarily what makes it secure what makes it uh work well but really like what makes it have staying power and longevity and and these are important pieces the number of inter- people interacting with the chain is a super is a super important piece of this people interacting um, so with the
0: chain though um people members of the community people using crypto do you think do you think for do you think for for crypto to really hit mainstream that we have to know that we're using crypto or can we eventually, you know, do you eventually see us like our, you know, our industry of like where you have a Venmo on crypto that people never even know that they're using crypto.
1: Does Venmo, does, let me, let me ask you this question. Does Venmo use crypto?
0: No, I, I don't fucking know. Could, you know that, what? How do you know? Exactly. You don't.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, but this so is the I, thing
0: I, without <laughs> the, the thing is, is yes, the technology speaks for itself. Of course it does. And especially now, um, but we still have to advocate for our technology. And I guess my fear in pushing for a, a world where we don't and and I'm guilty of this because I used to get on stage and say, uh, and say this, um, you know, people people uh will not know that we're using crypto down the road, and that will be a sign of success. But I guess my fear is that is where will the community go? What will happen? And if it dwindles away, then will crypto just dwindle away into darkness i guess
1: no so so i i agree with so, so first of all i don't think ben really uses crypto i don't believe that they do but they might um i'm actually a firm believer that uh crypto crypto networks and transfer value networks using crypto you know you know cryptography as a you know a concept are an inevitability and it will exist in the background in every product and service that we interact with on a regular basis over the next few years next few years could be 10 years i'm not i'm not sure of the exact time frame Um, whether or not every single person in the world knows that they're using crypto, I actually don't think matters. And you know, it kind of like follows the same story or the same rhetoric of like, do you know that you're using TCP IP or, you know, HTTP or SMTP for web browsing or email or any other thing? You know, if I asked my mom, like, Hey, what do you know about TCP IP? She'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, (laughs) but she uses the internet all the time. Right. Um, And she uses things like WhatsApp or things like, you know, chat apps or Facebook or whatever it is. And so, um, for it to be mainstream, does it mean that people don't know it exists? Not necessarily, but is it in the background and everything? Yes. I, I do think that, that is what's going to happen. And I think what happens to the community is it doesn't dwindle and die out. I actually think it just evolves. It changes and matures. Um, it evolves, you know, early on in this podcast, I talked about how I was one of those kids and like the IRC channels that was like, you know, quite frankly, I was a kid and didn't know what I was doing. A lot, a lot of times we were transferring, you know, illegal files like music or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, those communities evolve and, and, you know, you start to see products and services that are built out of them and then they, they, those people become, uh, you know, proponents for different pieces of the different technology and, and it, it grows and, and we start to see a, a, an ecosystem change and flourish in a different way than we had seen before.
0: I think I would love to see, you know, to see that play out and I would love to see that happen. Um <laughs> Right, like it's it's (laughs) (laughs) it
1: it will. Um, Yeah, I mean, like that's why that's why what you do is important, and I think what we what we believe we're doing is incredibly important
0: as well. So what's what's the future for you then? I mean, where do you see buys and trails in five years? Where do you see our our whole industry? I I don't like to ask this question, but I'm curious, I guess, to hear your answer.
1: (laughs) Can I ask why you don't like to ask a question before I get my answer? I
0: just feel like sometimes these questions are so cliche. Like, how did you find out about yeah. Bitcoin? And they're not bad questions per se. They're just not, not good questions to ask every single person you meet.
1: Yeah, no, that's 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 true. Um, how many times when you ask someone how they found out about Bitcoin, they tell you because they were trying to buy pot on the Silk Road? So this is the thing.
0: No one ever <laughs> will admit it, but I know that no it's true. It?
1: Why not? Well, why don't they admit it? They're
0: too afraid. I, I tell people all the time, it's like, I found, it's it's a simple thing. I found that about Bitcoin in a chat room. It, you know, I liked yeah. it. It was cool, whatever. But until I saw that, that Gawker article about buying drugs on Silk Road, I didn't even like think the future, like what would be the future of this thing and how could this thing, because when you saw it, when I saw that article, I was like, wait a minute, how is that, ha- how is that happening? Maybe I need to yeah. like pay more attention to this technology. And that was like a big... Yeah. A big light bulb moment, I guess for 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 me and for a lot of people. Um,
1: yeah, I I, um, I I I think I, I need to um, I need to come clean and say that that isn't how I found out about Bitcoin. Uh, I actually found out, I don't think I've really ever told the story before, but I found out about Bitcoin because I was working uh, with a group of uh, I was working on a startup, and one of the engineers at the startup who had left the company was running Bitcoin miners on company servers, and we didn't know until like months later. And oh, no. this was like, this was like 2011, 20. Yeah. Like 2011, it was, it was pretty early on. Um, and I laugh about it. I, I honestly don't, don't talk to the guy anymore. I imagine he's probably like living on a beach somewhere in Panama. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's how I found out about it. Uh, I've always been a big city. I've always been a big city guy. And, uh, to be entirely honest, like I don't, you know, yeah. a product and service like Silk Road isn't really something that people use in like a big city. Kind of like, you know, yeah. it's, it's interesting that you say <laughs> that. Issue. Cause
0: so when, when I, yeah, I, um, when I was under my, so when I was dealing with my, my legal case, um, in the complaint, in the federal complaint, they had said that Charlie had bought something from Silk Road. Um, and it was like a way <laughs> to like frame me in a negative light. And I'm like, right. my lawyer is like, Charlie, did you ever buy anything from Silk Road? And I'm like, I don't think so. Like why why would I ever need to? I live in New York. I want some pot. I go down exactly. the road. Exactly. I go to the park. So my lawyer's like you can't say that though. And so we're yeah. like all right, let's find out what the evidence is here. And so basically the evidence pointed to a conversation that I had with a journalist. And the journalist was like, "Do you ever use Silk Road?" And I was like, "You know, yeah, I ordered some brownies." And right. okay. Here's in a confession. I I'm a I was a kid. And I, I probably lied to that journalist just because right. it was something cool. And I thought, you know, I wanted it to be named in an article. I was like 20 years old. It's no excuse, but listeners, when you lie to people, it could come back and bite <laughs> you in the ass like it did for me. So just, just remember, it, there you go. There's my confession of the day. Thanks everyone it's, it's for listening good, to cool. Untold Stories. Have a great day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a great confession. I like it. Um,
0: the I had a question for you that I wrote down earlier. Um, well, and we'll leave it off at this. Um, are there any sure. cool properties that you'd like to see um, some new blockchains or some current blockchains adopt? Are there any like like just not just properties, but um, ways that they internally uh, operate? Um, how they maintain their developer community? How you know mm-hmm. what would make your like what would be the perfect um, project that like that ch- would check off? All the boxes that you would love, like, oh my god, I love working with these guys that you would want to work with constantly. Yeah, that's that's a
1: that's a really good question. And it actually kind of t- ties in a little bit into the question you asked about like where we see you know by like the question you said you don't really like to ask, which is like what does the next five years look like? And um, I, I think that what we're seeing is a lot of the protocol teams, the folks that are building new protocols and folks that are working on existing protocols, are maturing uh, and they're starting to think through. Uh, this idea of it's not just about building a core technology, it's actually about building a core technology and understanding the use cases of it and understanding the community. Um, For me, the most important thing, what what I would love to see, there's two things I'd love to see. I would love to see folks being a little bit uh, less, a little more pragmatic about like the use cases around their blockchains and not being so, uh, you know, so sort of fundamentally committed to one specific blockchain or technology. I think like, you know there's a it's not a zero sum game there's a there's room for different types of blockchains and crypto networks and technologies for the entire world and for different use cases and some will be very huge and some will be a little bit smaller and um, they will all all sort of like interplay long term so that's the first thing is like of so ideologically i'd love to see protocol teams kind of adopt that and understand that a little bit better and, and because i think it will make everybody build better products and build better build better uh, networks and, and better protocols if they don't try to do everything for everyone. And then the second thing is is that I think that folks um, learned a hard lesson around this idea of, uh, you know, if you build it, people will just come. Uh, I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think it's rare that that, that actually happens. Uh, and it's important that if you're trying to build a new technology or a new, new crypto network or a new blockchain, uh, that you engage with early folks to get feedback and thoughts and, um, and build a community around uh, what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it and, and actually have a mission, uh, a mission around it. Right. Like, you know, even every successful product service network, you know, Bitcoin included and Satoshi white paper uh, outlines, this is like, there's a mission involved, right? Like, why does this why does the world need this? Why does it need to exist? It's not just like a cool academic paper that you think is interesting or, um, you know, you didn't like one idea or one decision that the community made. So you forked off and made your own network. It's kind of like, it just sort of feels petty. Um, and so I'd really love to see, uh, folks take a little bit more mature approach there. And that's, that, that would be great. So protocol teams that are kind of focused on community and protocol teams that are open minded to like the existence of other protocols are are two things like would make my life (laughs) and our companies. I think we'll
0: see that in 2020 more. And we have been, the whole industry has been maturing and, um, and that's a really good sign. Joe, like really thank you so much for coming, you know, for coming on the show today Um, I'm going to have you back in six months so we can see how things are going um, and what, you know, what you've been working on uh, since then. Um, And I'm excited to release this episode. Uh, How can our listeners follow uh, you? How can they follow um, what you're working on and, you know, read some of your writings and things like that?
1: Absolutely. So um, you can find uh, me at Joe Lelous on Twitter or at Bison Trails on Twitter. Um, We... Trying to not to involve too much in, get too, too involved in crypto Twitter and the the crazy memes that are going on, but we do publish a lot of content and uh, our thoughts and what we're working on there. Uh, you can also find us BisonTrails.co uh, on the web if you're interested in uh, engaging with or building on uh, any of these new uh, crypto networks or, or um, crypto protocols. Uh, and I'm super excited to have been on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It was really, really fun. And uh, I look forward to being on the show again and um,
0: yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. Talk to you later. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina Felice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter at Charlie Shrem to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors and I'll see you next week. Remember... Strength in numbers and information is power.